Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. I'm quaking. I'm nervous. I'm uptight about it. It's creating anxiety. Oh, by the way, happy week to you, folks. Welcome to Kelly and Company. Ramya Muth, and she's over there in Toronto at uh, Main Campus. Right? You are. Yeah. Wait. No, I'm at home. I check. Are you at home? Yes. I just say. Did you just find that out? (laughs) Yeah, but remember, (laughs) I I don't. I don't. It's a Monday, and I'm reeling from uh, the fact that I have not done really well in my uh, NFL football picks. Not that I'm an NFL. Is this what's making you quake? Yeah, I mean, not that I'm some kind of like aficionado. But I've mm-hmm. never in the years I've belonged to this pool where you just pick your winners, I've never, ever, oh, I got four right out of all the games this week. Oh, my goodness. It's just been a mm. laugh. And I'm sure other people in, in pools, I, I was uh, talking to Jeff Ryman about this stuff last week, and we were saying that. It's just, whoa, what's going Let on? Let my ignorance be shown here. But do you need to have a minimum in order to keep nope. going? or is it, okay. No, no, no. It's just embarrassing. Uh, so, no, I mean, you get this little list from the guy who tabulates everything, and it's like, oh, yeah, Kelly, McDonald, uh, six, genius, like some of them out there, but boy. So Still. I'm kind of like, oh, gosh, I don't want to know how many. And then the thing is, you go back and forth when you're making your pick. So by the time the scores come in, you think, yeah, I got five here because I picked this team, this team. Then you find out that when, when, when the tabulations come in, oh, no, you actually didn't pick. The team oh. that you thought you just you, you, from week to week, it kind of blends for me because it's not something I take that serious. Well, I guess I take it serious enough to kind of quake about it. Mm, yeah, I think so. <laughs> Especially on a Monday afternoon. Yeah. It's a big so. deal, man. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny. It's the only sport. It's not football's not my number one sport, but it's the only one that I will do a pool because it's once a week and it's a commitment of like, oh, a minute and a half to pick the teams. Oh, so, wow. So much. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't do it any other way, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing well. Um, I'm using now. You and I have dipped our toes into the standing desk era, right? So yes. I've been utilizing my standing desk for the last week or so. Today, a lot more. Like I've I've stood for a couple hours now, and so you know, I'm learning the the difference. The difference in how your body responds to this. Well, and they say, um, you know, like not to overdo, you know, if you do it 20 minutes, half hour, then you put it, yeah, then you end up, and I'm not suggesting there are people who work a job where they're on their feet all day, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I think when you're messing around doing it, um, I've even used my stability ball just so that it's different than the office chair, right? Um, just so folks know, mine was made by Matt Agnew. If you're in search of a, I'm kidding because that's not (laughs) the job he does yet. So, (laughs) but a wonderful, wonderful desk. Folks, let's tell you what's coming up today here on the program. Brock Richardson of the Neutral Zone. He's going to bring us our weekly sports update. And Stephen Scott of Double Tap and Double Tap TV, uh, all the shows, is sharing behind-the-scenes insights on running this accessible technology-focused show on AMI. 
Wow, and we've got a great guest in hour two. Julie Matthews is the executive director of Community Legal Education Ontario. She joins Danielle McLaughlin today on Know Your Rights today to discuss how the initiative has improved access to um, uh, legal uh, justice, excuse me, to, for many people out there, folks. So that will be a tremendous conversation later on in hour two here on Kelly and Company. Um, folks, something really interesting, Rum, that uh, is going on right now. Um, we we just and we extend, of course, our sympathies and thoughts that we've had all weekend to those in Atlantic Canada, uh, mm-hmm. our folks out there who have who have been going through so much. As uh, Fiona came on shore, um, heard so many stories, Rum, about the water churning and and things that people would say, my gosh, I've never seen that before. Now, again, a lot of people transported from other parts of Canada are saying this. However, the the mainlanders, the the people out there who have lived down in in eastern Canada uh, have seen, for years, have seen different kinds of storms. um, But we know that the winds were incredibly high. I've heard winds reaching as high as 170, uh, 179 kilometers an hour. Uh, just phenomenal winds, just phenomenal damage, and uh, every day we're hearing more and more um, and uh, losses of, of property and uh, some lives out there, and uh, a lot of people feeling feeling very lucky. But one of the military's new Arctic patrol ships will be conducting wellness checks in small Newfoundland communities that were hit by post-tropical storm Fiona. Um, Defense Minister uh, Anita Anand made the announcement at a federal briefing earlier today. HMCS Margaret Brook is sailing from St. John's this morning to conduct wellness checks in four communities on the south coast tomorrow as requested by the province. This is tremendous. When we we know that the the, the military um in all forms have stepped up Ramya to say hey listen this is problematic. This is stuff going on. We will be there. The prime minister said so in a briefing the other day. Um, power still has yet to be restored to 266,000 homes and businesses across Atlantic Canada. So this is huge. We know how many people were without power at the time. We know how many mm-hmm. people in different circumstances need those welfare checks. Well, the more we can do... Uh, and the faster we can do it, the less it feels like these kind of um, natural disasters or storms or whatever it may be in all these regions uh, feel impactful, right? Now, obviously, we know that there's damage, like you're saying, and people are affected and places are completely uh, wrecked. But the thing is, the more that we can support each other and kind of um, get the stuff, the first response in, the the less and less it'll feel, I, right. I would say. Yeah. That the impact, uh, you know, yeah. Has. Well, folks, hearts go out to all of you dealing. If you're able to be listening to us, you know we're with you, as as us Canadians always do. Kindergarten in the United States, in uh, excuse me, kindergarten in California will not the whole United States will not be mandatory anymore. Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed legislation Sunday night that would have required children to attend kindergarten before entering the first grade at a public school. He pointed to the costs of mandatory kindergarten, about $268 million a year. Money, he said, is not accounted for in the California budget. 
Those who want to require kindergarten say it could help close the academic opportunity gap for low-income students and students of color, as well as help children develop important social skills before the first grade. I'm Rita Foley. So that's my thing. Those social things that people need before they jump in. It's again, goes back to when you're older, you go to high school, you finish up, you jump into college and university. Well, what do I do here? Right? Yeah. There needs to be ways of getting people ready. Even if you look at kindergarten, it's just that. This is something probably we should have carried on about on a a roundtable. Your thoughts? Yeah, I I totally agree. There's a lot of gaps that will be opened up and... uh, we see this when there's any kind of transition, Kels, with schools, you know, grade 12 and equivalent of grade 12 situations that happen where now a lot of people feel like they go into post-secondary, have to jump into programs yeah. and majors and not end. even – exactly. And they don't even – you're young. You don't even yeah. know what you should be doing, let alone uh, commit to it for a lifelong career you know, quote. Um, and it's the same thing with kindergarten. So you're, you spend another two years at home. We didn't even think about childcare, uh, what's going to happen to those parents and that kind of thing. And then the academics, we learn, if not learn, you know, a lot of very important things uh, for academics, we still get the basics of it. And you wonder, staying at home, childcare, things like that, that will end up being more of a cost. Why wouldn't you just send them to kindergarten? Exactly. We'll step aside for a couple of moments, folks. Welcome Alley is an initiative gathering feedback to assist companies out there with learning how valuable accessibility out there really is. We learn more in our Tech Talk next with Michael Babcock and Richard Hyman. Stay tuned. Remember, you can reach out to the program, give us a call, but give us permission to use your message on air. Otherwise, we won't. one 509 4545 is that number. one 509 4545 And just mention it's for Kelly and Company. If you want to send an email, you've got questions about Accessible Media Inc., feedback at ami.ca. That's feedback at ami.ca. On Twitter, you can follow along with the program, see what's happening from segment to segment. The handle is at AMI-audio. That's at AMI-audio. Kelly McDonald, Ramya Muthan. Inaccessibility sucks. We all know that when apps don't work, when websites have pop-ups that nobody can read and there's a lack of image descriptions anywhere. And companies say that they care about accessibility and inclusivity, but it still feels to a lot of us like words with no real change. So Michael Babcock joins us at this time um, to talk all things tech. And he found Richard Hyman on Twitter from Welcome Ally, which is an initiative that we highlighted a couple of weeks ago. So now we're going to hear a conversation between Richard and Michael about how Richard's team is gathering feedback to assist companies with learning how valuable accessibility really is. Here we go. It's time for Talking Tech with Michael, bringing you a shot of technology news to get your week going with sprinkles of assistive technology. I am joined today with Richard Hyman, and we'll learn more about the campaign that he has going on. But Richard, first of all, thank you for joining me. Let us know who you are and what you do. First of all, Mike, thanks so much for having me too. It's a it's an absolute pleasure. So in a nutshell, I guess I've had a pretty pretty weird existence. We'll we'll ignore the we'll ignore the music degree for now, but we'll go straight to work. I had or have had to date three years 
of uh, corporate investment consulting experience at a massive corporate investment uh, advisory firm. And everybody sort of asked me like two things, sort of how did you how did you go into that with sort of minimal experience? And then the other one is how on earth is it for you as a visually impaired person? And the answer was pretty fun and pretty terrifying. I started out on the corporate consulting team where we were directly dealing with client needs. And for those who do not know, that entire industry runs almost exclusively off PDFs. So it was sort of the friendly equivalent of being taken into a room and repeatedly hit over the head with a baseball bat by Adobe Acrobat and Jaws. And we also had some uh, real custom version of Windows 7 Enterprise as well, which did not play nice with Jaws. And we tried everything to make that work. It was a real experience in how to manage a disability in the workplace and how to get uh, results even with trying to get around all of these accessibility problems. So I moved over to the responsible investment team. I was then no longer responsible for direct uh, client interactions, which was a massive relief because it meant I had more time to sort out my problems, but the accessibility problems specifically. But when push came to shove, these problems were still here. I was being given reports uh, that I couldn't read. I was being given uh, websites to read that were not accessible. But we had uh, a real sort of epiphany when we realized that half of the stuff in the office, all of the normal applications that we were using day to day, all the websites that we had, all the training content that we had was just not accessible out of the box, even when companies were saying that it was accessible. And I'm sat there in my second year, COVID had long since hit, and I'm trying to build up a new uh, internal part of the business. But suffice it to say, again, these problems were playing havoc. And I'm sat there like, you know, this company really did commit and say, we're going to do everything we possibly can to help you. But even them with their huge amounts of resources found it impossible to really change the field in terms of accessibility. And we were constantly picking up uh, companies on stuff not being accessible. You know, we go to fund managers that we had to interact with who were investing our clients money on their behalf and just be like, guys, you know, one of our members of our team is visually impaired and you're constantly sending through stuff that's completely inaccessible. You know, this PDF is read completely out of order. Would you mind sending over a version that actually makes sense? And they're like, yeah, here's a PowerPoint. And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> Fantastic. That's a lot of use. And then, you know, another member of my team who I wouldn't have worked with particularly often would come up and be like, hey, uh, we need to understand the uh, carbon footprint of this particular investment strategy. Have a look. And the documents that they would send over would be a PDF that had no spaces, two PowerPoint presentations and a Word doc. Uh, but the Word docs that people use in this particular field uh, are riddled with tables for layout tools, uh, which is not cool. Uh, they've got image descriptions zero. Uh, they, it's <laughs> like I, I've seen... I've seen it all. I've seen uh, file paths as image descriptions. I've seen uh, identifiers uh, mixed up with actual labels. I've seen text boxes linked the wrong way. And I'm just sort of sat there like, one day, this is really going to, like chickens are kind of come home to roost. And then we got a call saying, hey, from one of our clients saying, hey, you know, we, uh, we noticed that your stuff is not accessible. Gulp. Uh, we had a bit of an internal meeting and they're like, uh, Richard, 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 do you, do you mind? Uh, just come over, just come over here. You want to, you want to help 
these guys make this stuff accessible because otherwise we're going to lose this client. I can't really say much more, but suffice it to say, I caught the bug and it was not long after that that I subsequently saw somebody I cared deeply for trying to book a university tour. Uh, They just got into their university, their top choice. And I was sat with this person and they could not book the tour to go on the uni campus because the website kept on crashing voiceover on their iPhone. Uh, And as a result, by the time they got to booking it, uh, all the courses are gone and they'd thrown their phone at the wall multiple times. And I just said, you know what? I really, really cannot see you going through this. So I went downstairs, called up my uh, my good friend, Angela, who is now my chief of business. And she then got her husband involved, who happens to be really, really good at visual marketing and visual design and UX. And I already had a program, a friend of mine. And I just said to all of them, I was like, guys, do you want to work on this? We put Welcome Ally together as a team to sort of try and fix some of these problems. So it sounds like you had to make a lot of, of changes in your workflow or with the material that you were using because it wasn't accessible and enough just became enough and and that caused welcome ally to start is that accurate kind of yeah i think it it really started a combination of the past three years of stuff i had to wade through and just seeing friends that were really capable people unable to do really basic things without any help just because they weren't technically able to because of accessibility so you made a interesting statement to me when we talked prior to getting this set up and you said people need accessibility and cited people don't realize what it costs to not be accessible. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit about that and, and what it is that Wacom Ally is doing? You would think, wouldn't you, that this really simple concept of, oh, hey, if more people can use your product, shock horror, more people are going to use your product. Um, <laughs> But the number of people that I've spoken to that just didn't get it and that didn't understand that actually the cost involved is going to actually produce a return. Like I spoke to people even within the company that I was working for who, when I said, look, you need to get the people producing this content internally to have a JAWS license such that they can test it. And they're like, well, head office really isn't going to... Uh, cover that kind of cost. And I'm like, well, then the cost to you is significant because that means that anybody who comes into this organization who requires that material is not going to be able to use it. And that's simple. That means that we can't do the job. But it's more than that. Like the example I give is Apple. You know, love them or hate them, Apple put voiceover on everything. Like I have an Apple TV, a watch, a phone, and several Macs, and I don't need to worry that, you know, I can use them or not because i just can you just press command f5 or whatever the command is on that device bang done and so it got me thinking is there a revenue case for accessibility you know if there's a way that we as welcome ally could get people to go to specific websites and you know on mass prove to companies and say hey you had 20 odd thousand people go to your website just because we said it's accessible Is that going to make a difference? And that's really what we aim to do. Welcome Ally is eventually going to become a website. Websites are ranked based on accessibility as determined by qualified accessibility uh, consultants that can go in and review websites based on criteria that we can assemble with the community. And from that, the most accessible website is going to appear at the top and we're going to allow them to have some form of badge of honor that allows them to say, hey, you know what? We're accessible. Come use us. And it will be completely vetted. And its aim is to really take that stress out of people 
in the same way that Apple did and just say, hey, this has been vetted. This is accessible. If you come here, there is a company that has come in and audited it that actually says, you know what? This is going to be less stressful experience and the criteria and the rating is going to be vetted by the community we're going to be incredibly involved with the community on actually putting this together i have drafted the uh original uh model if you will for this and that's come exclusively off the back of a survey that we've currently got running now which is driving how we're going to be rating these websites going forward so this sounds like it could definitely use a little bit of involvement from the community. As a listener, why might I want to get involved with Welcome Ally? Well, quite simply, the more people we have getting involved now, the more this is actually going to work. It does need a critical mass of people on board, but we are going to be taking a lot of feedback from the community to actually make sure that this product meets the community's needs. Because frankly, we've just all had about enough of inaccessible websites or frankly even websites that used to be accessible uh but aren't and there was a there was a huge controversy recently about the youtube app that was mm. uh and then the update came through and they just broke the homepage. and if you as a member of the visually impaired community come on board you know the earlier you get on board the more say you're gonna have we have a couple of things in the pipeline like our model uh that we're currently working on to uh rate specific websites and we're currently working out a way of how people can actually go and rate these particular websites, you know, whether you have to be a specific accessibility consultant or whether, you know, any, you know, any Tom, Dick or Harry can actually provide a degree of feedback. And we're always going to be open to the community. I think really what annoyed me when trying to communicate with websites and apps in particular, their uh, teams do not want to know about accessibility in the main. And mm. what I want to provide here as well with Welcome Ally is this sounding board that actually en masse we can take frustrations from the community to these people, to these app developers, to these companies and say, hey, you know, if only you just did this one thing, here's mm. a lot of people that would be incredibly happy to spend money with you or to use your app and build your brand awareness. And Ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Like, we all want to see accessibility done because it's the right thing. But fundamentally speaking, the yeah. impaired community is not a charity case. We're an investment case. We are worth investing in and we are worth putting the effort in for. And that's really what I want to prove here. If I wanted to start getting involved with Welcome Ally and I wanted to learn more, what would you recommend me do? So, right about now, if you are visually impaired and have had any trouble with inaccessible websites in general uh we have a survey up at welcomeally.com that's w-e-l-c-o-m for mother e for echo a-l-l-y alpha lima lima yankee.com and you can go there and you'll see a little bit of a blurb from me and my team and there's a button on there that says take survey you click on that link that says take survey you'll go straight to the uh survey monkey uh survey and we'll ask you questions about uh, you, the type of technology that you use, uh, your screen reader, your browser, your device of preference, whether you use one or sort of all of the, if you're an all of the above type of person as I am. And then it asks questions about like, what kind of accessibility problems have you been having? You know, have you, how many, how many times have you experienced inaccessible websites or apps in the last month? And then it asks you to give examples of, you know, apps and websites that you've had good experiences with and bad experiences with and a little, a uh, little hint for the bad 
experiences, we left those as open text boxes because <laughs> we know that some people have got a lot of rage in them about some of these services. And uh, we want to hear your rage. We want to hear what you've got to say because we are going to be taking these right to the front doors of companies to prove that actually they have got to change, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because they are losing valuable customers by doing what they are doing in ignoring accessibility in the design stage of their products. And the whole process takes maybe, what, 10, 15 minutes at most to fill out, depending on how, how much rage you want to put into the edit <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But, but, you know, accessibility <laughs> problems don't just fall in. Accessibility affects different users differently uh, on a more personal level. Uh, Richard, I really appreciate you hanging out with us today. If you could repeat the website people can go to, and if you want to share some social media so they can follow along with what's going on with Welcome Ally. So the Welcome Ally website is www.welcomeally, uh, that's W-E-L-C-O-M for mother, E-A-L-L-Y.com. Uh, you can follow us. Please, please give us a follow at welcome underscore ally uh, on Twitter. And the Facebook is at welcome ally VI. Uh, and that will be, that's our little Facebook page. There's not much up there at the moment, but that's intending to grow over time. And we'll keep you all updated through those channels on any other social media that we get as and when we start launching it. Well, we appreciate you joining us and we'll have to check in with you towards the end of the year or early next year to see how things are going. Thank you very much, Michael, for your time. Richard Hyman and Michael Babcock on our Tech Talk. Awesome conversation. In a moment, folks, Brock Richardson of the Neutral Zone with his weekly sports update for us. Stay tuned. Thanks for being with us wherever you're listening in. Maybe you're over at AMI.ca where you can stream the program as you can listen in to AMI-audio right from there. Radio Player Canada, a great app in which to get on your smart device to listen in to Kelly and Company. Here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern with the first repeat of the show at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Well, as we do on Mondays, Rummy and I like to welcome in Brock Richardson from the Neutral Zone who brings us the headlines. As a former athlete, I eat, sleep, and breathe everything sports. I'm Brock Richardson. Join me every Monday for your weekly sports highlights and our take on the weekend action. All right, ready, set, go. They hear that enough in sports. Brock, what is your leadoff? Well, I have two leadoff items for you guys that are baseball Blue Jays related, but sort of unrelated to their weekend. So we'll kick it off in that regard. First of all, I would like to send out a big congratulations to uh, Jamie Campbell, who won uh, the Sports Media Pres Presidents Award, which is really good. I yeah. This goes to a um, broadcaster who's done a great work on... Uh, Television, it's kind of a mixed bag of different things that can be uh, given out for, so that's cool. I Guys, I can't think of a better um, broadcaster with all that we've heard with him having leukemia and battling through that, and he uh, bleeds Blue Jays. He's been around uh, for a long time on uh, Sportsnet, and so this is a uh, real good achievement, and it's somebody that I would love to uh, chat with, and I 
kind of look up to him because even though he's gone through his health issues, he's still behind the mic as often as possible and really kind of bleeds for the Blue Jays. So congratulations to Jamie and all that he's accomplished in sports and with the Blue Jays. Wow, you talk about a versatile um, host, uh, someone who who can do a few things at the same time there, control the uh, filling the airtime, but makes it seem so simple and going from one thing to another. So together, you never feel, you know, panicked like he's lost or anything like that. Uh, real fedoras off. Definitely to Jamie Campbell. Yeah, and it's. I remember one of the things that sticks out to me with Jamie is that he uh, came in as part of the broadcast when there was that whole seventh inning debacle that took place in the uh, in in the in the playoff game in the wild card against the Orioles years back, and uh, he was kind of the calming presence uh during one of the updates you know saying this is not what we expect from canadians and so he's uh, always just sort of the voice of reason as as i look at jamie and uh, when all the stuff was being thrown on the field yes yeah during the texas series wasn't it oh yeah sorry yeah Yeah, that's right Right. during the the famous bat flip and all that time yes i don't know why i was thinking baltimore but yeah um texas that's the one we're referring to and he just—it was always the calming, uh, the calming presence, and that's one of the things that sticks out in my mind with Jamie Campbell, just always being there and part of the furniture. It's sometimes you often hear <laughs> expression used. Um, my second item is just to let this audience know that Blue Jays tickets go on sale for the playoffs this coming Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Now, if you're looking for accessible seating please be aware that phones is not your option you need to go online to get your tickets this is not my favorite thing to bring because i don't find i don't find that getting seats online is very accessible i understand that the general public will say oh it's easy it's faster it's all well and good but in this case i think they're missing the boat on this one a bit cal Yep. Well, uh, that to me is a, it's an insult. It's a, a community that for some of us, screen readers may be a problem for some people using your agility with your hands, whatever it might be to suggest for a moment, that's your only option to get accessible seats. Uh, gee, folks, um, instead of having four ways for everybody else to do it, why would you ever leave persons with disabilities or needing accessible needs one way? Just ridiculous and, from you. And their whole arg- their whole argument is that, well, we're doing this for everybody. Everybody's getting their tickets online, and so we're just trying to make everyone feel yeah, as one. Yeah, but other people can call in too, though. Yeah. Unless they're blanking that out for everyone, and maybe they are, Brock. Maybe it is only, yeah. but I can't imagine that. Why would you ever do that if it's someone's choice to sit on hold for 20 minutes? Anyway, we digress. Right. Yeah. Yeah, as we move from, you know, technologically or just convenient speaking, from one way of doing things to another, we often just take everybody to that new route, like you're saying, Kels, but uh, not realizing, yeah, and not realizing that accommodations means that you keep other ways open, right? That's the the whole point. Uh, Guys, we've chatted about, mm -hmm, go ahead. The the first thing that happens all the time when you call Ticketmaster nowadays is that you go immediately into the... um, you know, the automated system, and it's yeah. very hard to find your way into the accessible. 
seating, and that's I think this is what they're trying to get away from doing. I just think they've missed the boat. But anyway, we can definitely we shall digress reduce on this it. Topic. Yeah. yeah, we'll move on. But it, they can reduce volume. Doesn't mean that they gotta push everybody off of some things that 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 are absolutely mandatory for them. So, guys, we've chatted about the Phoenix Suns being in the news and not for good reason. Uh, and you have an update for us. I actually have a two-part update. So the first part is the bit of older news, and the second part is the newer news of this. Adam uh, Robert Sarver, pardon me, has made the move to sell uh, both the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury, who are part of the WNBA. I don't think this comes as any surprise to anybody. I think this is the best decision for the organization. And the part of the news that came out just a few minutes before I came on was that uh, the general manager, head coach, and Chris Paul, the athlete of the organization, have all come out and said that this is the right decision to be made. Um, They support the decision. The dynamics between front office and athletes have been a very taxing situation lately. So everybody's in support of this, and I think whether it was his own decision or a decision that was pressured upon him, he's made the right decision, irregardless, in making the move to sell the team. Okay. We'll see what the price is, as we're always monitoring that when it comes to movement like this. Um, There's something in Major League Baseball that's been bothering you. What is it? Yes. uh, This one's been bothering me for quite a bit of time, and it's bothered me. It bothered me more this weekend. Um... You know that little box we see in the strike zone that the (laughs) commentators, we go to replay and they show it and it's high and it's inside and it's outside and this is what we see. So this is to express, Ramya, where the ball is when they call it a strike. So we can Mm -hmm. see if the umpire's wrong or right as an audience. In real time. In In real real time. time, You you can see where where the ball hits. So here's the thing. We can all see that the umpires are sometimes right and sometimes wrong. My problem is there's nothing saying that this strike zone is 100% accurate. No. So I think I think fans get kind of stuck in a situation where it's like, well, the strike zone said XYZ and so therefore the little it's box right said XYZ. Exactly, right? And so this, to me, is something that I just sit there and I think, okay, yes, we can acknowledge <laughs> it was high, it was low, it was inside, it was out. But it's not foolproof. It's not 100% accurate. It's a box that gives you a ballpark, pardon the pun, idea as to where the strike zone is. It does not mean it's 100% accurate. Yes, we can all get frustrated with umpires. Yeah, that's all well and good. I'm happy to get frustrated with umpires. But understand that it's not 100% accurate. And so even though this box is a unique tool, I actually think it does a disservice to the umpires because it's not 100% accurate, much like the umpires. So this is I just got really frustrated <laughs> just over the Is it to get re- the attention on uh, like us being able to engage? 
I think it is. You know, is it when less you, about when you the say accuracy? it that way, the engaging, yeah, because at the end of the day, Brock, really, it's been there to make us feel like we can make that call that we do at home, regardless if it's mm-hmm. there or if you're in the stadium, five hundred feet away from the from the, from the from home plate, you're still that looked like a ball to me. I've got perfect vantage point. Like we all have our own opinion, just like the umpire just behind home plate. Right? Might be too much power though. And Too much power for the audience. Every umpire is going to have a different strike zone, and that strike zone changes through the game based on the size of the person, the weather, the lighting. They're human. Yeah, their mood. Like let's not That's let's right. not forget their their mood their is mood. part of it too, right? And it's just and and I mean I look at this and I and I do and I never thought about this until you brought it up, Ramya. Is that is it for engagement? Yeah, and it's, it's for all us it to is. have. This You're conversation already engaged. Right They're now, getting so and, upset about it. Yeah, my frustration, and this is exactly <laughs> well, what it's, they and want. It's also show off graphics, man. The, the, the quite frankly, it's whoever set up the square, <laughs> you know, back there at Sportsnet. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, yeah. and 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 again, what it's great for is good stories from the ex players that'll tell you about you know making a comment to the umpire and the umpire is saying. Who's calling the game? You let me call the game or you're out. (laughs) And I don't care how far out of the zone the ball is. Exactly. All right. We'll see how many other people um, feel the way Brock feels about this. But this year, Brock, Major League Baseball has an extended playoff format focusing on the wild card round specifically. So the three games will be played at the same venue over one weekend. Um, Can you tell us why this is happening? And do you expect it to remain this way for years to come? This has happened. This format of it being in the same venue is happening because of the lockout and how much they had to uh, condense it. Um, This is the reason this is happening. Will the playoff format stick? Yes. Do I think that the uh, one team will play at the same ballpark? I hope so, because I kind of like it where it's like, well, Earn your way, earn home field. This is what we all play for. We play 162 games, earn your home field. Everything I'm hearing and understanding is that this is just simply for this year only to reduce travel and not to have the World Series played in mid-November where you might have colder weather and or snow depending on where it is. So no, I don't expect it to stay this way, but it's not yet confirmed. It's just everybody talking about what may or may not happen in the future. Enjoy your Blue Jay watching this week as they begin the great series with the Yankees after having uh, mediocre, um, but still keeping ahead of the Rays over the weekend. I think that's all we can ask for. Brock, thanks a lot, pal. Thank you. Brock Richardson hits us with the latest sports updates on Monday. Plus, check out him and the gang on the Neutral Zone Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time here on AMI-audio. Available also as a podcast and on YouTube as a video podcast coming out tomorrow. Up next, Stephen Scott, host of Double Tap, shares behind-the-scenes insights on running a very successful tech show on AMI-audio. We'll be right back with him after this. Folks, listen in to Kelly and Company right from your TV. While you're at it, stick around and listen to AMI-audio because there's lots of great content on the channel. As a matter of fact, well, we'll get into more of that in just a second as we uh, bring on our next guest. 
Uh, Rogers, folks, you guys can find us in Ontario on channel 196 and Rogers Ignite channel 146. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. So on Mondays, we've expanded uh, what used to be our AMI-TV segment to all of AMI. We encompass the entire network because there's always a lot of stuff going on. And we're keeping you posted on the new content, new initiatives, new people, whatever it may be. We're just keeping you up to date. So uh, speaking of new stuff, uh, an older guy (laughs) joining us, he's been around for a while, is Stephen Scott, host of Double Tap on AMI-audio, Double Tap TV on AMI-TV, the video uh, show and Stephen, how's it going? Old dog, new show. Yeah, I think that's old dog, pretty much the way it's going. Thank you, Rami. I, like I feel it. so much better already. I, I was just going to say, how do you like that <laughs> older guy? <sighs> it's great. Older you know, as so in, nice. you know, veteran. Do you, you know, know something though? I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I feel like I'm growing towards my age. All these people that complain about getting close to 50 or 60, I'm like, I can't mm-hmm. wait. I can't wait to be old so I can pretend to be deaf and annoy people. Oh, I yeah. just, you know, that's that's where I want to be. Yeah. Settle back. It's and it's it's expected. He's just going to sit back there. He can't hear you. Oh, oh. <laughs> don't have to so- socialize as much anymore. <sighs> well, I, if want. I even bother, to be honest. I mean, the pandemic was, right, right, you right. know, it was a terrible thing. Let's but he liked it. That's all right. It wasn't the best. The less you do... With your friends, the more they're going to get you on AMI. So Stephen's favorite, <laughs> Stephen's favorite sound was <laughs> door closing. <laughs> yeah, it was the doorbell and yeah. me hiding behind the sofa with the lights off. Mind you, I <laughs> usually have the lights off anyway, so I suppose no difference there. Nobody home. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. How are you guys? Does anyone ever ask you how you are? How are you? Oh yeah. Oh, you, all the time. Sure. But yeah, of course we well. stay. Of course we say, oh good, we're having a good day. Like the standard. Yeah. Matt has it as a on, right? Matt over there has it as a recording. He just hits play. Oh, we're good. Thank you. How about you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I forget. You see, you're in Canada, which is you know beautifully lovely, and everyone's nice to each other. Nice people. I'm in the UK, where we're not. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> now we got to find out if Fern ever asks us how we're doing, Kels. That's oh, I, I think Fern Mullen yeah. joins us from the UK. How are you guys <laughs> doing? Well, we're all right. That's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. We're okay is about the best you're going to get. Everything starts with a negative in the UK. It's, you know, I could be better. That's another one that's a classic. Oh. I could be better. <sighs> yeah, it's a great country. I love it. Can that's I interesting because we say can't complain. That's so funny. Okay, go. so listen, we want to talk to you about Double Tap for the, the remaining time we have left here. <laughs> yeah, but, the remaining um, four, so, four minutes or so. <laughs> well, yeah, two seconds. Um, you've been hosting these shows for years, yeah, as we said, Old Dog, New Show. Thanks, so, thanks, Ramia. Yeah. Tell us how, you're welcome, how you feel the shows have grown because now you can kind of step back and analyze. I don't know if you do that anyways. Oh, God, no. I mean, I think if I ever stopped to think what we do, I'd probably realize I shouldn't be doing it. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I have to be honest, I have the time of my life doing that show and I, I love doing it. And when the suggestion was made, can we do more? I was like, yes, please. Uh, because honestly, I feel that the, okay, I know our show does tend to drift off a bit like this conversation's gone, you know, it oh, drifts sure. off occasionally <laughs> off the rails. <laughs> Blind driver, what do you expect? That's but right. the thing is, that there's so much tech to talk about and, you know, it eats into every part of our lives now. So it's no longer just for the geeks talking about processors and Pentium processors, right? It's not that anymore. It's all about, well, how does social media affect our mood every day? 
And how is technology actually affecting our lives? How you know how dangerous is the amount of screen time our children, uh, you know, are, are, are you know having through the course of a week? So there's so much to talk about. And when the opportunity came up for us to, you know, take stock and think what we're doing with the show. Um, and, and let's actually maybe do more with this. I thought, well, let's do it because, to be honest, every week it felt like we were cramming a lot in or trying to. Yeah. And we, ne- <laughs> yeah, the running order didn't quite exist, but we, you know, we'd try and get as much in as we possibly could. And in the end, you know, we didn't manage it, so we spilled out into six shows. Sorry, guys, I apologize <laughs> immediately. How hard would it be going back to de-analyze? Do you sit back and give yourselves, okay, let's see uh, on Tuesday's show. I, I would think for you guys, because as you're talking about how much tech is everywhere, even figuring out what we do right, what we could do better, it gets mm. tough when the response is so positive to the point where you know we could start tinkering, maybe undoing stuff. Is it the stuff itself? Is it is it us, what we're doing, that people gravitate to the show? At the end of the day, it's the whole package, including the foibles of the show. Do you know, it's interesting you say that because I think a lot of people do tend to every so often stop and take stock of the show they're doing and think, right, how should we do this differently? How mm. can we, you know, maybe improve it by changing something? We've done the same thing for all these years. Should we change it? Yeah. And I think it's really difficult and it's actually really hard just to say no to that and just say, do you know what? We're doing it. It's working, clearly. I mean, is it working? Mm-hmm. I don't know, right? I'm on it, so I don't know. But people get in touch. People seem to talk positively about it it's still on air mr f is happy i think so you know we just have to go with it and you know for me it's just about trying to as much as possible just just do what we do every day which is be ourselves be honest be real talk about our own stories talk about our own existence that's how this show is different from a lot of the podcasts that exist out there in the universe around technology we it's this is a show about sean and i and our experiences with tech. Right, exactly. And that's the difference, I think. You know, we're we're being honest, we're being true about ourselves. And that was, I realized I needed to do that. So in I, some ways, you it's know, your I, preferences I often call the show a therapy. too, right? Like, exactly. And that's okay. And I think, you know, for me, it's like a therapy session every day. Yeah. I feel like, you know, if I, 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 should, I should be... Um, I should be charged... I should be paying someone to do this, right? I mean, don't tell them, <laughs> but, you know. But... <laughs> It's it's like it just feels every day like an opportunity for me just to stop and 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 actually think and talk about the things I love with friends and it's absolutely right I get Sean I've got Mark and we just get together and we just talk the one difference I guess and the one thing we decided to do uh, differently with Double Tap every day was you know just focus in on one particular topic per day so half of the show is kind of dedicated each day to a topic or a theme or a review or something. And it gives us that time to really dive in. Yeah. And that's something which you don't get the chance to do on a weekly show because you've mm. got so much else to talk about. There's yeah, tons. you're always playing catch up. So is it a challenge or an opportunity with it being on the six days a week in this format as you described? Oh, opportunity. I mean, there's nothing challenging about it. I love it. I would do seven days. I would do eight days. If there was eight days a week, I'd probably be doing them. In fact, I, I think, to be honest, there's a day that will come when they might know, I'll probably be broadcasting and they won't even air it. They'll just be saying, yeah, yeah, Stephen, it's great. We're, we're loving it. <laughs> we're talking here. We've got no idea what's even going out on air. We're just having You're a just huge You're just recording your therapy sessions. That's right. Oh, that's hilarious. That's when you start um, slipping into things to test people to see if they're listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the pink right. slip comes in. You say, oh, you were listening. <laughs> 
Yeah. We got to ask about video and audio, though, because with Mm. Double Tap TV, uh, do you feel that that's separate and different or is it just a different audience or an expanded audience? It feels very different. It does feel very different. It is an expanded audience. And I think that the audience we get for Double Tap TV is quite different. It's a different feeling show. You know, I, I always feel, and I often used to say that Double Tap TV is kind of the main event and Double Tap on EMI Audio is the after party. And I still think that's probably true, you know, because we do have a lot of fun. We do have a lot of, you know, great conversations on Double Tap TV, but I think it's a slightly different feeling, which I think it needs to be, right? It can't be yep. the same thing. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But I think also, you know, with, with Double Tap, it was originally Sean and I, and that is where it's kind of gone back to with Mark at the weekend. And I think it's great. You know, it gives such a... Because, you know, through the week, we talk a lot about accessibility. And on Saturday, when Mark comes on, we get a chance to talk about things that aren't around accessibility. You know, we can widen the scope and we talk about his latest drone or, you know, his a new car he's got. Or, you know, whatever it is. Because black right. people care about that stuff too, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So oh, yeah. we just want to give people choice. And, and it kind of inadvertently, that's... Kind of every, all the pieces just you know fell into place on that one, which is great. Has there been something, Stephen, that you guys have tried out that you feel hasn't worked for the show, whether it be back at day one, day seven, or yesterday? Oh yeah, live, terrible mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. It was why? It was, <laughs> why? It was so we tried it live. Yep, uh, because it was one o'clock in the morning for me. Well, that would be no. enough of a reason for most people. Yeah. <laughs> that put most people said. off, right? Yeah. Sean, Sean had to sit in a shed. And I mean, people actually believe, people write into the show and believe that the shed is a myth. Right. Yep. Uh, it's not a myth. It's real. Uh, I've been in it. And the thing is that, you know, he would sit out there freezing cold. I think it was like a November time or something we were doing this. And it was like, this is, this is tantamount. He, someone's going to call HR. You know, this is not good. And, um, well, in they'll the be end, able to see him shivering now when he does the video podcast of it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, at least he does With that the frost a on his head. No, oh, that's not. Yeah. That's not white hair. It's, it's frost. That's just frost. Yeah. Um, no, he's. Uh, you know, Sean is is just incredible. You know, and a, a true friend to me. And you know, we just clicked. We just absolutely clicked years ago, and and you know, he's become a good friend, a good friend for, of my family, and you know, we, we just got on so well, and I think people pick up on that. They do because you can't fake yes. it, you know. So like you from too, the right? You can't fake that. Although from the from the beginning, you could hear that with you guys. Like it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the close, the carrying on, the the openness, and knowing each other's next word or whatever it might be. You guys, uh, it's it's so there, so casual. So this is our life, you know. I breathe in, he breathes out. We sometimes have to. Um remind ourselves we're doing an actual proper show oh yeah um, you forget. We sometimes have to say you know hang on let's, let's maybe not do that uh we've done a few, <laughs> we, we don't stop we try not to we, we do our shows live to tape and we you know we both feel comfortable doing that and uh we didn't at the beginning we stopped a lot and we would re-edit things and i think that it just gives a new energy to the show if you can just go for mm-hmm. it and be live and um the only time we really edit, if I'm honest, is if a guest is on and they've said something they're not happy about. Of course, we'll do that. We'll obviously edit for that reason. But or if time runs out like it has now, right? Oh, Such you see, this is a, you should come on our show. Could we just talk? 
I'm telling you. All no, but you have Sean and Mark to keep you on track. Yeah, there. but he also Thank has rollover. You. We'll stay there. We'll just stay there for the whole week. <laughs> I'm not feeling the love from Rania. I'll be honest. I'm, I'll be honest, Kels. <laughs> what do you mean? That's no. her way of saying no. You need a strict co-host <laughs> to keep you on time. <laughs> it's been lovely talking to you guys. Rania. Yeah. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Kels. See you later. <laughs> See you, man. <laughs> You can check out Double Tap TV once a week on AMI TV and on YouTube, and Double Tap the audio show six days a week on AMI Audio. Interesting conversations next hour. Mark Rankin is an orientation and mobility instructor with Vision Loss Rehabilitation Canada. We'll be speaking to him for the first time on the show on a regular segment. We have Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin and a great guest today on the program. Up next, though, community reporter Annette Dennis with her Southwestern Ontario report. Stick around. are listening in thanks a lot appreciate your time remember we're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m eastern you can also subscribe to the kelly and company podcast at your leisure as well use your favorite podcast platform Ramya, she's uh, over there at Accessible Media Inc., hanging out on main campus today, talking to us from there. I'm at the home studio of London, Ontario. Kevin McDonald here. Rum, on Mondays and Tuesdays, we like to visit with our community reporters. Now, the community reporter project is an incredible one that brings so much information to us from these reporters' areas, their regions that they cover off. They bring us things that are happening, going on, but also give us the flavor of those those regions. Today, we're talking to Annette Dennis in southwestern Ontario. Annette, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. Happy Monday to you both. Well, Happy we're having Monday. a good one over here, of course. A real diverse show as uh, usual on a Monday. And you've got a really important topic leading things off that I, I think is wonderful to, to kind of get back on people's radar um, and, and important to do so. Uh, can we talk a little bit about National Day for Truth and Reconciliation and Orange Shirt Day, a couple of things that we should know about and happenings? Yeah, so as folks know, September 30th is the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, and tied into that is Orange, you know, the Orange Shirt Day initiative as well. And so, it's, as you know, it's a day to honor those who survived residential schools and to remember those who did not and their families. Um, and it's an also an opportunity to create meaningful discussions, to build awareness of the legacy and, and um lasting impact of residential schools. And also, um, and I love this part, <laughs> this is where a lot of us can come in and to inspire action, hope, and healing as well. So um, to mark this day at LOSA Family Healing Services, along with several other um, area Indigenous groups, um, I'm inviting everyone to join them as they come together for a gathering at The Green, which is in Wortley Village here in London, from 10 a.m. until 3 p.m. Um, this Friday. And that is at 206 Wortley Road, which is between Duchess and Elmwood here in London. So many, um, and, and there have been a lot of uh, different things that have gone on of late in, in this area, so a lot of people in the city of London will know it. And folks, it's wonderful to take that visit into Wortley Village. I think mm-hmm. what we're finding with these events, and, and there's a couple, there's other things. I know Namarin has things going on too in London. Um, really open arms to people. This is the thing I find so, because of understanding so many things that we get a chance uh, to learn about experience. And a lot of it, I think many of us 
um, may have heard something, may have had a friend, especially if you're in the London area uh, when you were a kid or have a friend now and you, you're, you know, so you, you already feel or should feel welcome to, to be there, participate, uh, enjoy and celebrate. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it sounds like a really, a really lovely program for, for folks of all ages to, to come out and, and participate actively or just as a, to observe. Um, and they are going to have a, um, a, an MC there throughout the day who has, his bio is, will be up on your blog, but uh, just a well-respected, both in the States and Canada, Daniel uh, Deliri is his name. He's going to be the MC, and they're going to have... Um, uh, throughout the day, they have specific things. There's going to be a lighting of the fire um, at 7 a.m., and it's going to be lit by Dennis Wide-Eye, who I have met. He's I've um, been at events uh, with him before, um, and he's a wonderful uh, person in our in our area. Um, and then there's going to be at 11 a.m. a jingle dress dance for folks to um, to enjoy. And then at 2 p.m. there's going to be a, a smoke dance as well. And I think actually if there are um, folks in the area that want to participate um, in those, you can call the organizer and, and if you want to be a part of that. And they're also going to have a, um, an elder's tent, uh, educational booth, singing and drumming for those. And they just I just noticed yesterday on the website they have two more features that just went up. They're going to have language sessions, 30-minute um, language sessions for, for folks who are interested. And they also are going to have Indigenous uh, food vendors. Um, so folks can maybe just bring their own water or snacks or if they want to enjoy maybe some um, Indigenous food as well. They're, they're hoping to have that as well. Okay. Absolutely wonderful. We'll put that up on the blog, as you mentioned, ami.ca slash Co. Perfect, Annette. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep with this theme because I feel like there's so much uh, to appreciate with nature from your last item. And there's the guided nature meditation with Kitchener National Natural Areas program happening. Yeah, so this really caught my eye. And this one is great because it's, um, it's online, so you don't have to be in that area specifically to enjoy it. And so they're offering three different ones this um, this fall and winter, and they're Mondays, October 3rd, November 7th, and December 5th from 7.30 to 8.30, and it is via Zoom. Um, and this, this particular event is free. Um, so basically... It's an opportunity for participants to wind down their day with two uh, guided meditations that draw on the elements of nature to help individuals ease into a state of peace and relaxation. And this is open for beginners, so, you, you know, if you don't have any experience, that's okay. But they do, um, even though it's free, they do ask you to register and you have to do, you know, you can do one or all three, that you do them individually. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was really cool. And I've never... Personally, I've never heard of this program, but it's called the Kitchener Natural Areas Program, or NAP, K-N-A-P for short. And it's an environmental program that promotes the stewardship of the city's natural spaces. And doing so, they offer events and learning opportunities for folks of all ages in the area. Mm-hmm. And they, they do it at different spaces. So, yeah. It sounds wonderful, and it's obviously the aspect of um, nature and connecting uh, that you know outdoor space, outdoor being with meditation, and how um, that concept is going to be portrayed through this program. But also, just the the real interesting part for me is 
finding nature in your cities. And um, for some reason that really clicks because, you know, we tend to think of cities as loud and uh, overwhelming, maybe a lot of stimulation and finding that peace as you're, you're describing from the program um, may feel difficult, especially for beginners of meditation. Um, but they're saying you can still find that space in these cities. Absolutely. That's, that's, in a nutshell. And I think people, we tend to forget yeah. that, right? When you're busy in your sure. day-to-day life, getting here and there and being able to remember, oh, there are these spaces in all our communities and, and it's important to um, remember that and kind of seek these opportunities out. And it's nice when you have an organization to help folks do that and to remind people to do that. Um, and for folks in the area, they do have some in-person events, which are really interesting. Um um, there are a couple of them are ongoing sessions. There's a forest bathing session, which just started. Um, okay. but I believe you can probably register as it's ongoing and they will prorate the price. I'm assuming they also have a yoga hike session, which is kind of yoga meditation outside. And that's the session people can register for as well. And they have a couple of one-offs, which is a mindful movement in the woods. Um, and they also have, um, like they just, they have a winter solstice. Um, forest bathing, which is a one night event, but it's already sold out. So it sounds like it's a really popular. So definitely if you're in the area, um, maybe get on their email list. And so you can be uh, made aware of these, these really cool opportunities. Awesome. Great. Yeah, and you've highlighted all of these in the uh, notes as well. So we'll put it up on our blog, ami.ca slash Kellyco. Perfect. Let's zip over to London's master plan. This is the mobility master plan. Help shape the future of transportation of mobility in London. Yeah, yeah. So um, the community consultation is now underway for this, uh, the mobility master plan here in London, um, which is, um, like uh, many other cities, um, (laughs) determine how London prioritizes transportation and mobility infrastructure programs and policies for the next 25 years. And when I read that, that sounds so daunting, but here we are, right? So um, so to start, they're, they want to basically learn what it's like for, for folks <laughs> that live in the city to move around the city with, um, with your choices, your challenges, and what would make trips better within the city. So they're developing the plan. It's going to take a, cu- a couple of years. And... Um, basically, they're hoping to uh, improve street, or street sidewalks, cycling, infrastructure, transit routes, yay, um, pass, also known as mobility networks. Um, yeah, so for us and future generations. So the, this kind of ties into they're having this week a live Zoom, a live Zoom webinar. Um, so members of the public are going to be invited to join the city for a, uh, a community uh, conversation about transportation, mobility, and it's happening this Thursday, September 29th, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. And it's basically going to include what the, uh, the master mobility master plan is, uh, local transportation trends, feedback that they have received to date um, on this initiative, and as well, uh, future improvements uh, opportunities. And so folks can either... Um, in the Zoom, they could actually ask questions there or they can email ahead of time. And they also do have a form on their website where folks can give their feedback about their personal experiences, um, you know, with transportation and mobility in the city. 
That's amazing. Good, good. Very good. It, it's interesting because, of course, you need all this kind of input. And uh, right now when you talk a city that's getting into rapid transit of some form, you want all these kinds of checkboxes and you'd like to at least make people feel they've had some means of contributing and, and voicing their opinion. Absolutely. And I know there are, because they are looking to more sustainable future, they are obviously, I know this has come up in other community reports, the e-bikes and those sorts of things and the bike share. So I think it's very important. I know that has created issues um, in other cities. So that's maybe an important aspect to give feedback and kind of learn from other cities' experiences, right? And get in there and uh, exercise our right to speak up and our concerns. Annette, it goes up on the blog, ami.ca slash kellyco. Thank you so much. Wonderful report. Lots of great stuff. Great. Nice talking to you guys. Take care. Talk to you next month. Our community reporters visit us on the program Mondays and Tuesdays. Uh, That was Annette Dennis from our community reporter from London, Ontario. Coming up in just a moment, Mark Rankin is an orientation and mobility instructor with Vision Loss Canada. We're connecting with him just a couple of moments to get into a discussion. Please stick around. There's going to be lots of great stuff here ahead on Kelly and Company. Catch the Pulse, ladies and gentlemen, this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. This week, Joita speaks to Alison Gurlach Pran, assistant uh, assistant professor in the School of uh, Child and Youth Development at the University of Victoria. This is about a new study exploring the need for using an indigenous lens on autism diagnosis and service delivery models. That's the Pulse Thursdays at 1:30 p.m. Eastern, 10:30 a.m. East, uh, sorry, Pacific time. And it's on here on AMI Audio, of course. It's also available on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of the program. Welcome back. So we're adding a new segment on Kelly and Company. We've started these rotations, switched things up a little bit, keeping everybody on their toes. And on Mondays, this will now include a rotation uh, with orientation and mobility, which we're very, very excited to get into, actually. And Mark Rankin is an orientation and mobility instructor with Vision Loss Rehabilitation uh, Canada. And we're connecting with him specifically on the fourth Monday of the month. And voila, that happens to be today uh, to get into some insights on O&M. Mark, thanks for coming on Kelly and Company. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Good. See, it's true. Canadians do ask how we're doing. We were asked by an individual from the UK earlier. And you uh, said whether the right we... thing. Good. <laughs> yeah, Kelly and I, whether we get asked uh, how we're doing. So, straight. We yeah, are of good. course. Everybody does here. And we all answer the same way, Mark. We also say... Good. <laughs> We also say I'm going to sneak by you, right? That's the one where it's a tight space. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's one that even I know people are like, it's going to sneak through here. It's going to sneak through. Anyway. <laughs> sneak through. Uh, so you're joining us right now from the Muskokas. This may not be where you join us from every month, but <laughs> I just wanted to shout it out because I love Lake Joe. Yeah. No, I, I, would, I would love if that were a condition of my every, <laughs> every, uh, every, every fourth Monday to be up here. But yeah, right. no, I just, just arrived, uh, for some, uh, work related sort of planning stuff. Um, 
So, I, yeah, I, I'm the uh, professional practice lead for orientation mobility services. So a uh, bunch of stuff going on as an organization. It's a good time for us to kind of look at some assessments. And, mm-hmm. and That's where all the CNIB stuff. big meetings are now held, right? Yeah. So nice. Well, we're going to go up to the know. resort. I, I, I... <laughs> Say hi to the soccer field before you come back. <laughs> I'm sure he'll spend lots of time on there. Okay, now take yeah. your cane. Well, lay down <laughs> and meditate. <laughs> so how long have you, um, not just with CNIB, but how long has O&M been part of your life? Um, for me, it's been about 20, almost 23 years. Um, I start, yeah, started as an O&M uh, at CNIB back when there were multiple locations in Toronto and um, worked there for quite a few years, then left, did, did a little bit of O&M here and there on private contract, worked a little bit for Canadian Helen Color Center, um, worked a little bit for Humanware um, while my kids were young and it was nice to have a flexible schedule mm-hmm. uh, and then came back to CNIB and then we became Vision Loss Rehabilitation Canada uh, more recently. So yeah, but all, all that time, mostly in the Toronto area. So Did I, you have to float from all the offices? One, you know, one in the morning you could be in Etobicoke, in the afternoon out there in Scarborough, like because that's got to be hard. Uh, on, a little bit, yeah, yeah. That's got to be really hard. Yeah. It's it's enough to say if someone wants to work on their area, you're on the maps. You're looking back then a bit different than what people would do today in looking uh, for that challenge to to familiarize yourself with what help and things they might need. You're always having to do that. But when you're jumping from office to office to, to location to borough to borough at the time, that must have been hard. Yeah, it is. Because what's nice when you're in one location is you kind of get um, a sense of what the resources are there, you know, for clients that might not be related necessarily to vision loss. Right. Um, and you make some contacts. You're like, oh, you know, I know I can call to get an answer about this, but um, mm-hmm. not in this office, not today. So that was that was a little tough, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mark, you want to tell us what O and M actually? When we use the letters, the, the acronym, what is it? Yeah, sure. So it's just orientation and, and mobility. Um, so it's kind of the two components uh, that are that are important for somebody who has to get around independently with uh, with vision loss. Right. So um, the you know the mobility is more like the actual techniques of whatever your method of transportation is. So, you know, how you, how you board a bus or how you stay on a sidewalk across the street. And, and then the orientation, which is a, you know, a big component that maybe people who don't have vision loss wouldn't be aware of is how do you maintain an understanding of where you are in space? Yes. How do you plan sort of purposeful movement and how do you remain oriented? And, and that's a tough one. That's, that's kind of, uh, mm-hmm. I always find the techniques are not so hard to learn. It's right. Um, it's it's putting it together uh, to actually take control of your own of your own travel because you got to learn something about that person as you work with them as how they learn and retain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so much of uh, what we do is kind of, I mean, it, it's it's the relationship between an, an O and M instructor and the person you're working with is always kind of strange because not only do you have to figure out you know how what the sort of person's learning style is, what their maybe life experiences are. But they're sort of figuring out, am I going to trust this person? Yes. <laughs> they're going to be teaching me some Absolutely. stuff that potentially, <laughs> yeah, potentially could be dangerous. So I think we're both, you know, kind of feeling each other out, you know. Uh, and then at some point you end up in this relationship where you like, you'll tell people to do things that maybe a couple months ago they would have thought was crazy. Um, 
and they'll say, sure, I'll give that a shot. <laughs> and you kind of wonder, wow, yes. how did we get it's, here? It's so true. I remember doing mobility and Rummy, I don't know if you feel the same way or you're going to instantly say, oh, yeah, I remember that. When you'd be discussing something that, that your orientation instructor wanted you and mobility instructor wanted you to do. And it's OK, you got it. Yeah. All right. Go. Let's off you go. Uh, uh, <laughs> and you're walking. Uh. And when you'd get into trouble like or feel you were. And Mark's not going to come running up, Kelly, Kelly, here, let me help you. You're going red-faced. You're all embarrassed because, you know, I know this, I know, but where am I? I'm a little lost. <laughs> oh, my God. And you and you do wonder, am I alone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things well, where, like you were saying, Mark, having it on paper, you know, this is what you do. This is the strategy. This from A to B to C to D is different from physically actually going through O&M. And so roots were always such an interesting point, especially when uh, my O&M back in the days would say, okay, then today's the day I stay back. Like, I'm not going to walk with you <laughs> to the bus stop. Right. You're going to do it all on your own. And even though we've done it together and I'm pretty much ready, there's always these butterflies. Like, can I though? Can I make it there safely? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? And and the O&M specialist is going to be having butterflies too because – of course. I find for us, the hardest thing is you want to expose a person to greater risk, right? Because they've got to be able, like the, the big thing that you have to be able to do with, with vision loss is problem solve because there's always yeah. going to be situations mm-hmm. that are thrown at you. Get yourself you're out of it. So, yeah. So we've got to gradually expose you to more and more challenging situations without ruining your confidence. So we're also stressed like, you know, I hope this is going to be a positive outcome. And is there a point where I have to step in and, and maybe help them kind of problem solve or right. just kind of reset? Like, you know, what do you hear or, or where do you think you are? Why do you think that's the case? You know, and so that's it's tough yes. for us, too, because um, we're really, you know, even though we might be hanging back, we're still going through it with you. For sure. And sometimes that challenge is simply uh, the weather. You know, we've done it for three days yeah. straight. It was nice and sunny and, um, you know, relatively warm outside. And now it's frigid and cold and there's ice on the ground because it was raining last night. Or the hiss <laughs> of rain. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Cars, yeah. especially Sound. in Toronto. Woo. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, though, for you, Mark, because you've been at it for 23 plus years, as you said, uh, and you took orientation mobility at school, I'm assuming, before becoming an instructor specialist and doing what you're doing now. How much has evolved we all have our own answers to these, but how much has evolved since you first started in terms of, you know, tools and strategies and everything out there, technology? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that you hit on it there, technology. So I uh, recently, um, during the pandemic, there was a lot of problems with getting, um, so we have an internship program where people go through and they, uh, they work for us, but they also do their schooling on the side and they, they couldn't they couldn't transfer to to get to UBC to do the in person part of their training. So I I did that training with a cohort of our students, and I was amazed at you know how the techniques basically the core techniques are basically the same. The environments mm-hmm. change a little bit, so you have to do some adaptations. But the big game changer for me is technology, um, and that's been something that we've had to kind of evolve to get good at in our practice. So. Um, I know I always say, like, if it weren't for all the apps that are useful for people with, with vision loss, I'd still have, like, my flip phone that I could charge once a week. And, <laughs> yeah. Right. And, uh, fell, out of, fell out of a roller coaster once, and I, I found it at the end of the day at Wonderland, and it was still fine. <laughs> but uh, those days are gone because there's just, like, a whole world of, of, of uh, features that, that you can get, you know, with a smartphone that just are game changers. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to teaching it, 
um, you know, orientation and mobility. What is that favorite part? What would you say when someone says to you, Mark, come up with that thing that really makes you keep coming back every day. You got to put the extra hours in to learn stuff in the way of technology. You've got to plan out routes for the people and keep everyone straight. Uh, but teaching mobility to communities, low vision, blind communities, what's your favorite thing? It's, it's when you see um, the difference that gaining that independence makes in somebody's life. Like I remember one of the first people I worked with, he had uh, had a pretty sudden loss of vision and was confined to his apartment. And, you know, we started working, working, and he had been a competitive bodybuilder at one time and mm. he wanted to be able to get to a gym by himself. And we worked and worked and he, we got to the gym and he was like a kind of a hardcore gym and everybody was taking a look at him and kind of rolling their eyes. Like, look at this guy. He's, you know, we're, we're kind of going slowly around finding the equipment and, and they're thinking this is going to be disaster. Well, after about, you know, three visits there, and I guess they see this guy who's super boss in the change room. The next time I met him down there, everybody was asking him for training tips. Like, how do you do this? How do you do that? And I nice. said to him, like, how do you feel? And he said, I feel like myself again. Like I, I, I said to myself, this is me. I'm me again, you know? And that I, I always think of that in situations like that where you realize, oh yeah, it's it, it's totally worth it. <laughs> wow, yeah. stuff that you go through. Having a job where you know you, you see the results and feel you've made that difference, but mostly you just see the the fact that the independence and all that, and what what has given back. It's always like you say, getting around Empowerment. mobility and being able to cook. They're the things that for people who lose their vision, uh, right off the bat, you just, you just want to give them that, that ability to get out of your four walls, but also sustain yourself in various ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's you've... So... go ahead. I was just gonna say it's so fundamental, uh, to your sense of worth to be able to have that basic yes. independence, like to be able to go where you want to go within reason, right? Like, Absolutely. And that's what I was going to refer to a conversation we had with you, uh, I believe, a couple of years ago during our Back to Basics week and the importance of, um, you know, mobility and uh, orientation and mobility and all these other different life skills, as we call them. Uh, but the empowerment, sometimes it's even easy to forget when you've gone through it yourself, right? I've had orientation and mobility since I was a kid, um, pretty regularly all the way until graduating uh, end of school. And uh, unless I have a conversation like this, where we sit back and realize everything that it's given us, all the kind of power that it's given us and confidence, you don't necessarily remember you know, your first street crossing or that first time you uh, <laughs> learned what Northeast Southwest is, right? Like, um, but but it's, it's awesome. There's so much to discuss with you. So I'm really looking forward to these monthly segments, Mark. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Looking forward to it as well. Awesome. Mark Rankin, O&M instructor, joining us on the last uh, or fourth Tuesday of the month. Hey, look, he's teaching uh, orientation mobility. Out there in a paddle boat. Wow. Anyway, nice. as he has fun at the resort. <laughs> Up next, folks, Julie Matthews is the executive director of Community Legal uh, Education Ontario, and she's going to join Danielle McLaughlin on Know Your Rights in two minutes.
Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald, hosts of Kelly and Company, wherever you're listening in. Hey, guys, thank you for being with us. So, what was the scariest mobility issue you had during your training or any time you've said, hey, I need to learn a route? Um, anything, either whether it be when you were learning to work with your cane and get around? Right. It was using my cane, period. Uh, but that's because for, for most of my time, I was still not acceptant of using a white cane. So I would kind of fake my way through a lot of things. It was probably very scary for the O&M instructor working with me. Um, but I'd say subway travel. Sometimes. I'd, I think subway travel was the hardest, Kells, because it was dark. The The environment felt mm-hmm. very unfamiliar. The noise levels would be all over the place. Sometimes just the mass of people coming in and out of uh, trains or subways themselves up and down stairs was a lot. Very, uh, a lot of stimulation. When it came into the uh, station, did you back up always from the train? Oh, yeah. Did you stay with your back, back up against, against the, the wall? wall? I'd find yeah. a wall. <laughs> stick to it. You, you know, I remember being a kid thinking, oh, it's going to suck me in with it. Yeah. There's, there's, there's nowhere it could suck so you into. Loud. You know, you'd get so uncomfortable with it. Uh, really great. Good conversation. Folks, now it's time for our Know Your Rights conversation with Danielle McLaughlin. Let's examine questions that can't be answered by a simple yes or no. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, when we talk about how freedoms collide on Know Your Rights. Danielle, best to you today. Happy New Year. Thank you very much and a sweet and happy new year to all who celebrate. And you know what? To those who don't too, whoever objects to being wished happiness, it's, it's, it's all good, right? <laughs> Always a good Absolutely. thing. Always a good thing. Well, I am very happy today because today we have with us Julie Matthews, a, a good old friend of mine and colleague. She is the Executive Director of Community Legal Education Ontario, which is called CLEO for short. And Julie is a lawyer who has headed up this amazing organization for many years now and has been instrumental in improving access to justice for so many people. Julie, hello and welcome. (laughs) Uh, Good afternoon, Danielle. Thank you. Well, it's lovely to hear your voice again. I've missed you. (laughs) (laughs) It's mutual, yes. Oh, good. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about CLEO? What what does this organization do? Yes. I mean, there's a lot to tell, so I'll just try to, to hit the, the main points. CLEO is a small, not-for-profit organization, and our core mandate is to provide information about the law um, to people across Ontario Um, Our focus, our priority is to reach people and to provide information that will help people who live on low incomes or face um, various forms of social disadvantage or marginalization with with the information that they need to understand and exercise their legal rights. So we are part of Ontario's legal aid family. We're we're funded by Legal Aid Ontario. We're also funded by the Ministry of the Attorney General, by the Department of Justice Canada, and by law, the Law Foundation of Ontario. So, I mean, I can tell you more about how we do our work, which makes it rather unique, um, but that's it in a nutshell. Well, that's that's amazing. If you think about it, it's you know, it's it's so important to to know this and also that you don't have to be a lawyer yourself to understand the legal information that that uh, Clio makes it uh, accessible to people, you know, who who may not have 
a good legal education, I think, is extremely important. What are the different areas of law that the Clio resources uh, cover? Can you name a few of them? Yeah, I mean, we so we have both. We we provide legal information in a bunch of different ways. Different people have. Um, both, you know, different issues that they need information on and they have different ways of accessing it. And so primarily, you know, we focus on trying to get the right information to people at the time they need it. Um, We do it um, in, I think it's 17 different areas of law on our main website, Steps to Justice, Justice Pazapa. And those would be areas of law that, again, you know, affect in a, in a significant way, people living on lower incomes are facing disadvantage. So we're talking about housing law for tenants often, and we're talking about employment law, uh, social assistance, Ontario Disability, Ontario Works, um, family law, uh, immigration and refugee. Those are a few of them. Human rights, of course, but there are, as I said, there's 17 different areas, and we have information both on those two sites and then uh, people and organizations can order our print publications for free, and they can use them themselves, although a key way that we've gotten our information out there um, is through community organizations that order them in large bundles, um, and we provide them to them free, and then they use them in their offices to support um, community members who come to them for help. So we try to use a bunch of different ways to get the information out there. So no matter sort of where people are going to get the information, be it a doctor's office or a public library or or online, of course, um, that they can find what they need. And I've seen your materials in classrooms as well. I know that schools often yes. have, and school libraries will, will provide access. Um, are you aware of uh, resources being accessible to people who are blind or have low vision? Are, are they accessible using a screen reader, for example? Yes, they are. We've worked hard um, and tested them. And so, you, yes, they are set up, designed to be used with a screen reader. If any listeners today are having difficulties using um, our information with a screen reader, we really like to hear. We rely on um, users, people's feedback all the time to improve what we're doing. So, um, but yes, we, uh, um, they are, it is accessible for screen readers. Oh, that's, that's very important, especially since you have information about ODSP. And I know that uh, numbers of our listeners, you know, need fairly regular updates on, on what's happening with, with ODSP and uh, to yes. know that's accessible is very, very helpful too. Um, the other thing that, that, um, I'm concerned about, and many of our listeners as well, are human rights complaints. And it, you know, yeah. it sounds like complaining should be easy. Uh, it isn't. Um, and so, can Clio help people to find out how to go about filing complaints with the Ontario Human Rights or other human rights uh, um, tribunals and uh, and other tribunals, like, for example, with regards to housing? Yes. We have a lot of information relating to housing disputes um, on our website um, and how to uh, navigate what's primarily an online system now for rental housing disputes. So there's a lot there. I did look at our human rights tribunal uh, section before, before this conversation, 
and we have we have a lot of questions um, and answers there. So how we have our information set set up on steps to justice is we we did some investigation to find out how people ask their questions, how they approach a problem, and how they might frame or. Uh, word a question. And so the language we use here on our site is intended to reflect the way people might enter, you know, enter a question into um, a search bar. Um, so they can either browse by question or, of course, they can still do a search. But then they get to, you know, how, we one of our questions under human rights tribunal applications is how do I make a claim to the Ontario, to the human rights tribunal of Ontario? And what, how we've set up steps to justice is under each question, there are five, well, there's between three and five practical steps that a person can take to move forward in that area. A step may be, you know, getting further assistance from somebody. And so we have a lot of information on services that we make sure that what we say about the services, we do our best to make sure that how we describe services is actually what people will get. Um, but we also, um, so we have, but we have step-by-step -step information about how to go about moving forward. So on this one, again, step it's, you know, under how do I make a claim, find out if first, first step, find out if Ontario's laws apply, um, third step, file an application with the tribunal. And then underneath that, it's practical information, um, for, uh, you know, for that a person we hope can, can put in, put into use and actually act on. We have all of our materials. We're sort of dedicated to writing in plain language. We have three editors on staff who specialize in clear language. So, um, they've worked a lot on, on our materials. And so if there's a term that might be confusing to people who don't have a lot of knowledge about the law, we have, they can click on it. We have a glossary behind the scenes. Um, so, you know, the, I, one of the things that's interesting about our information, I think, is it's, is it's practical focus. So it's not necessarily, it's accurate in terms of reflecting the law in the books, but it really goes beyond that to tell people what they're likely to need to know about if they're trying to move forward. Um, so it's sort of like the real world, I suppose, real world application as opposed to something in theory that might be written on the books. I, I think that's terribly important. I know that a lot of times people will ask, do I need a lawyer to file a complaint? And I think you help with first the answer to that question. And, and secondly, if you don't have a lawyer, you know how you can go about it without a lawyer. And, and I know that, yes. that Cleo has been an important resource. I, I believe you also have materials with regard to self-represented litigants. Is that correct? We have a lot for self-represented litigants, primarily in um, family law. And we have a, a, a new program that we've ha developed over the last three years is what we call Guided Pathways, which are online interviews that people can work through question by question. And it leads users to the completion of court forms and legal documents. And so we have a simple will and we have power of attorney. And so it's a... It's, it's going down that road of helping people who are doing it on their own to actually complete, as I said, court forms and legal documents. Um, you know, I always find the dichotomy between self-represented people and, and um, represented people sort of a lot of people are either are, are partially represented. They need help with some part of their problem, but not all of it. And I think that 
our information responds to those people's needs as well. They can make some progress. They can get their power of attorney checked with a lawyer if they want, but they can have a draft completed. That's terrific to to have. And I and I know that, you know, these are things that can sometimes arise very quickly. And you may have questions in the middle of the night and you can't get hold of somebody who can answer them. I, I you know, I know that in my family, for example, somebody, um, you know, became critically ill uh, very suddenly. And the question was, what, what do we do uh, with regard to power of attorney for this individual? And uh, you have that kind of information, which is, you know, available, I guess, 24 hours a day if we're talking about the website, right? It is. And um, we also have a live chat service. Uh, I think it's two hours every day. It's available two hours every day in English and then a couple of days in French or maybe an hour a day in French. I should know this. Um, and and a, a sort of an information referral specialist makes sure to help people find what they need on the site. Um, and sometimes we'll point them to services and referrals if it hasn't been clear to them from using our site. Hard to imagine, I know, but some people <laughs> sort of want that extra level of assistance and we try to provide it. Well, that's really great. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask if you have any uh, sort of personal stories or stories that you know of people or organizations that have gained better access to justice when they use Clio's resources. Well, wouldn't I love, you know, some full, complete story from, from a person who did? What we get is a lot of emails and feedback from people saying, the, you know, something like I'm self I was looking over these a few minutes ago. You know, I was self-represented. I was really struggling. This was just what I needed. It was both practical and, you know, and I and, and you know, keep up the good work. We get a lot of that. We also network um, and collaborate um, a great deal with other community legal clinics we are, uh, and other um, community organizations. And they, as I said before, use our materials when they work with clients. And we often hear from them too about, you know, clients, um, clients use of our, materi- of our materials and how critical it is. So we have various mechanisms, but usually we don't have sort of a start, you know, start to finish story. Well, I, I I do know that that this has made a, a lot of of difference to a lot of people mm-hmm. to be able to get that. I guess you know because once you set them on their path, or once Cleo's resources set them on their path, then off they go. But when you hear back that that you know they've been helped, I think that's that's crucial that you know that yeah. that you've done something important. So uh, that that's very very strong evidence in my view, because, you know, mostly people don't bother to thank you. And once they've thanked you, you know, you've made a, a, a major difference in, in their life. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's what, what they say about, you know, if, if, if you hear from one person, you know, that there are a hundred who didn't bother to write something like that. So yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think that's, that's really quite, quite an important uh, uh, issue. Um, can you tell our listeners h- how they go about getting access to uh, Clio's resources, the, the website and uh, f- perhaps phone number? Yeah. So, yeah. The, the, so our website is steps to justice, uh, one word, uh, dot CA. And you can also get to the French version there um, for that. Um, and our main organizational site um, that you should be able to get to from Steps to Justice, or if you want to go directly there to look at publications, Clio publications, and find out generally more about Clio, is clio.on.ca. 
and 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 is there a phone number or do you just prefer people yes. to go through the website? Well, no, you can do that, and we do. Ha- and then you know, right now we're not we're not picking up the phone with a live person, uh, you know, at the minute, but we're checking them every day. So it's you know, it's not what I love, but it's good enough, I think, for now as we're sort of transitioning to returning to the office. The phone number is four one six four zero eight four four two zero. Thank you so much, Julie. It was a real delight to hear your voice again and to have you help us gain better access to justice by finding out about Cleo. Thank you. That was Julie Matthews, the executive director of Cleo. And I want to thank her so much for joining us on Kelly and Company today. Wow. Danielle, some great insight. Thank you and Julie for that. We'll step aside for a moment. When we return, we'll see what's coming up tomorrow on AMI-tv's Now with Dave Brown and talk a little bit about our show as we wrap our Monday edition. Welcome back to Kelly and Company. Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald. She is over there at AMI. As a matter of fact, on main campus today, I'm at the home studio in a rainy London, Ontario. Uh, folks, subscribe to the program via the Kelly and Company podcast. You can listen to the show in segment form. Maybe you just missed one that you came upon and you want to go back and hear that segment again. Or you have a favorite contributor. But, of course, we always recommend check out the full complete Kelly and Company podcast experience with the audio vanity card and more. Any particular segment, Ramya, that you want to suggest people go back to? Well, I think our introduction to orientation and mobility talk here on the show uh, is probably a great Kickstarter for, you know, months to come, right? Because I think that we've been talking offline about bringing O&M on the show for a while now, Kels, and it's finally here. I'm very excited about it, and I think there's going to be a lot to get into, and we got snippets of all that today uh, with our conversation with Mark. Well, we just heard Danielle McLaughlin's Know Your Rights segment, and it was great, very informative. So I do want to give the the nod there. Uh, really enjoyed sports with Brock, too, on the show. Again, the very diverse show, ladies and gentlemen, from Michael Babcock's segment uh, all the way through has just been so much great information. Uh, Brock's had some interesting discussion, too, with, with baseball as we get geared up for uh, the playoffs as they come along. And um, I'm sorry, I'm distracted by some garlicky kind of smell do you smell that in toronto like it's strong uh, wow no it's that almost the worst segue no, ever i tell you the worst it's, segue I've it's ever like heard. especially <laughs> a garlicky chocolatey smell no i don't smell that at all no you don't smell that garlicky chocolatey something you'd find at rogers center go from baseball to paul daniel folks to tell us what's coming up tomorrow on now with day brown but he was also eating chocolate garlic ice cream or is it garlic chocolate ice cream the other day that's the worst segue ever, can I tell you? And I've done lousy segues. You know. Okay, okay. But anyways, uh, to answer your question, it's a, it was a roasted garlic chocolate ice cream. Did you like it, Peppy? And? Yeah, it was good. And then my wife had strawberry lemon basil ice cream. Well, okay, okay that, that sounds better. Yeah, that, well, I don't That's know. Like, I, I kind of like, like the other. quite good. And, hmm. and yeah, from a great place called Death in Venice Gelato. You didn't have any chunks, though, of garlic in the midst of it, right? It was oh, so sure. stop. Oh, yeah. It's getting sure worse. Really? You didn't. You're lying. Oh, I'm not kidding. I did. That, that oh, yeah. I'm not sure I could handle that. Did you have chocolate fantastic. chips and chunks of garlic in the same ice cream? And just to make rummy happy, one, yeah, did one. you throw raisins good. in it, too, for rummy? 
Oh, my God. Oh, maybe man. we want raisins. Sure. We can always have some oat bran, perhaps, if you like. Whatever you like. <laughs> oh, it's pretty good. <laughs> hey, it keeps with the vampires, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, vampires. Sure. The vampires don't want to get anywhere near the sides Vampires as show hosts. Tell us what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown. Lawrence Gunther from the Outdoors podcast will give us his perspective on a recent report from McGill University indicating people with disabilities have been left out of the political discussion regarding climate change. Nelson Regal from Cool Blind Tech will tell us about a software program pro, pro, programmer in Adelaide, Australia, who is legally blind, who has developed an app to help bus drivers see blind and partially sighted passengers. And it's Tuesday, so we'll have a weekly clash that Titans will be as uh, Alex uh, Smythe, Alex, uh, Andy Frank, and Karen McGee do battle. Forget Game of Thrones. This is serious stuff, even without the dragons. All right, Pepe Le Pew, thank you very much. Glad you enjoyed your ice cream with the garlic chunks and everything jealous. else. You're just jealous. Actually, I am. I wouldn't jealous. have minded that. <laughs> you would like I mean, that. I prefer the basil one. Yeah, maybe. Lemon uh, strawberry basil. That sounds it nice. It actually was really good. The chocolate, chocolate was garlic chocolate ice cream was actually very good. All right, Daniel, there's it. music playing. Yeah, I just Scramble. can't I can't keep telling me that's good. Scramble, Daniel. <laughs> chunks of garlic and everything with him. Wow. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow, too. you got to exit stage left. Okay. See take ya. your take your garlic and basil as well. I didn't take any garlic. Oh, I put it on the table. Man. The late Queen Elizabeth II's corgis were well-known members of the household. Dr. Danielle Johnkine shares the inside scoop of the royal corgis. Nutritionist Julie Karanchis, she gets into gut health tomorrow on the program and informs us of the difference between probiotics and prebiotics. Also, the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation and the Royal Canadian Mint are, have unveiled a deeply symbolic keepsake. We find out more tomorrow with Alex Reeves, Senior Manager, Public Affairs, Royal Canadian Mint. Medicine Hat Alberta is moving to electronic bus fare in October. Community uh, reporter Tony Freimark has the details on that. On our parenting segment, Lucia Belafonte leads a discussion on memories, experiences, and suggestions on organization. And on our book club tomorrow, we, uh, we, we are going to do the review, our discussion of Resta Gush. The Long Run of the Wild River by Philip Leap. We'll get on that subject tomorrow at the end of our show. He's out of here. I'm looking forward to our conversations with Mark Rankin. He's going to come on when he can and talk mobility with us. And that is one of those things that is the hardest thing, folks, sometimes to get that grip on because there are so many things that we can go on about and tell you about that it becomes kind of kind of nuts. Uh, I mean, there's always stories. Uh, it's one of those segments where we want to educate and inform and make people out there feel a little relaxed and share the stories of it. And people who don't know about mobility and orientation really get a chance to kind of grab onto it. Maybe it helps you understand uh, what maybe somebody with a, a vision disability is going through. But we know it'll go elsewhere. We know we'll get into other discussions that are offshoots, whether it be family or friends. Uh, I, I really don't know. As, as When we get segments like this, hey, let's be fair, hell, uh, when we get segments like any of them, I never know where our contributors are going to take us. That's why we bring them on. They have that knowledge that I may not, I don't know. But when we get into conversation and find all of a sudden we may <laughs> go down a bit of a rabbit hole and go off track, we also may illuminate other perspective topics that in the weeks to come, we've got to go over, we've got to touch on or find out when we're finished the segment. Wow. That was illuminating. 
And we hope that after every segment, you find something that you learned about or, or that you found illuminating, even if it's not necessarily a segment that you're so into, but that something was said that made you say, oh, shoot, I, I didn't know that. Oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. Um, so looking forward to talking a little bit about a subject that for myself, Ramya, and people in general, getting out, getting around, no matter how you do it, orientation and mobility is really important. And 100% of our lives. 